welcome back to the Grave News Podcast. Way. Uh, in today's episode, this is the first of our proper formatted ones. So Luke will be discussing a topic of his interest. I will be weighing in with my non-expert ideas and asking him questions and trying to keep him on track as he waffles on about it because he's really interested in it. Yeah, I will apologise in advance for my waffle because... <laughs> Yeah, Egypt, Egypt excites me, which kind of leads me into what this topic is. So there's something I didn't get a chance to put in my personal statement. Character limits are horrible, basically. So while I was while I was researching underrepresented groups, something that came up quite a lot was women. Mm-hmm. And it's a topic I've covered quite widely in my history A-level um, because it comes up in, I think, all, honestly, all three of my topics, like Russia, China and Britain, all of them cover it. And it's an element that I wanted to research in this because, as you find with ordinary people, there are groups that aren't represented well due to the patriarchy that's persisted throughout most societies, Egypt included. And I think despite this, and we'll touch on this later, but Egyptian society is almost an outlier to a lot of that. They have much greater privileges for their time and better than, honestly, 200 years ago in the UK. Mm. Would you say that Egypt is definitely an outlier, or as we're going to touch on, the historical record paints the ancient world in a certain light that may not actually be true? So this is the thing I love about archaeology, because you have the written records which will say one thing, and they will say one thing, because you'll have a biased male, potentially derogatory attitude towards women. Whereas the physical evidence that we can use for a lot of this, the household household items, the jewellery, paints a very different picture in terms of their liberties and the way when we're able to live. Mm. So throughout this, I'm going to try and create a contrast. So whether that be with everyday society now, which I think will be quite current with some people. I've also tried to research the Athenian attitude from ancient Greece, which from the research I've done, that alongside Rome, that very much dominates our understanding of the ancient world. Those two classical sources overarch, especially in Europe, overarch Egypt. So I thought that would create a really nice mm. comparison between the liberties that the Egyptians faced versus the control that the Greeks. Mm. Very, very nice. Uh, would you like to discuss the historical record that we have for Egypt? What kind of written sources do we have for them? And what do they say? Yeah, so... Written sources in Egypt will range the the whole deal. You'll have the temple decorations, which often segregate men and women, but at the same time will show couples and obviously focus on the dead, but you'll have elements of their marriage and of their children within their tombs. You've got censuses, you've got the pottery that they're depicted on. And although... As, I've, as we've already touched on, the derogatory attitudes will paint a poor portrayal of women. It's primarily due to men wanting to protect their own position a lot of the time and restricting mm-hmm. women's liberties. And they prevent change for, for women. Would you say this is um, the same as in Greece? Or do you think that it was worse or there were differences? Um, as I've kind of already said, Greece is a lot more derogatory and a lot more sexist towards women. Uh, presented as troublemakers, perfect example of that is Hera, um, Zeus's wife, 
presented as jealous the whole way through. However, mm-hmm. you do have a balance with that. You've got Athena, obviously the patron god of Athens. She presented mm-hmm. as intelligent and curious and brave. And you have very much a juxtaposition, I think, in Greece between what ordinary people faced, women in everyday life being restricted to their homes, against some of the depictions of their gods. And personally, I don't think that carries through for Egypt. You've got a society that, on one hand, might be more liberal towards women due to marriage, particularly not being a religious issue, which we'll touch on later. But at the same time, you have women in power having a very affluent and important position in ruling the country. Perfect example of this is Nefertiti, who was Akhenaten's wife, and Tai, who was Akhenaten's father's wife, and Menetep III. Now, these mm. two women played a very active role in governing Egypt, and they were able to exert a lot of influence, especially towards the way that things were run and guiding their husbands a lot of the time. And whether that carries through into ordinary life for people, or it's because of the depiction of female gods in the Egyptian mm. religion and how important they are, especially protective god- goddesses. That paints a very different picture compared to a much more controlling Athenian, well, Greek in general, but especially Athenian society. How much um, truth would you put to the claim, and to be honest, this is a claim that I'm mainly getting from horrible histories, about that there was misogyny pertaining to the female rulers as they would have to sort of present as male with sort of fake beards and stuff. I don't know how common that was. But what would your view on that be as like freedom versus restriction to a sort of male biased society? So yeah, I was going to touch on this later, but we'll do it now since it's come up. We've got an extraordinary example of Hatshepsut, who was a very powerful ruler. She's got a massive temple in the Valley of the Kings. If you want to look it up, it looks very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, this was a woman ruling the throne at a time that had very rarely been done to the extent that she that she had and the power that she had. Now her father was Tutmosis the first, very, very powerful, very, very strong king. Now his her husband died and I think it was his son Tutmosis the third that took the throne. Obviously he was only a child at the time. She became mm-hmm. his regent. However over time, I think it was about seven years of her regency, she made a move towards trying to implement her own rule. Mm-hmm. So with the support of her own male courtiers and her father's image for legitimacy, she was able to reinforce her position to the point where she did rule Egypt for a considerable amount of time. Now, the male traditions and the ideas persisted throughout. She had to reinforce her position by depicting herself as a man. Mm-hmm. So. You- you have the fake beards carrying through, you have the male iconography which carries through. However, this is a woman ruling the throne, and there's evidence of that throughout in her names mm. and the way she was depicted a lot of the time. Now, I won't say that that carries on the whole way through because when Tutmosis the third took the throne, he did persecute her memory as Pharaoh. He didn't touch the things that referenced her as regent. And this is a perfect example of that there still were gender imbalances and stereotypes in Egyptian society. Was she the one who had everything sort of cut out? They sort of tried to erase her, or was that a different queen, or was that her? It might. 
it might be, well be her. I'm not. Sh- they didn't destroy her temple. Um, Thomas III actually built his next to hers. Um, but he, I think he he extended hers and started building another one. If I remember rightly, mm. but it wasn't. He never reached the scale that she did. Um, however, saying that, her names referencing hers with Harry were removed. Like those were attacked, mm. and it's most likely him trying to remove from the record that a woman held a predominantly and um, stereotypically a male post. Mm. Now, I think it's another very useful thing to touch on when we're talking about this, is I've always associated feminism with a very modern movement. So you, I think mm. you'll be able to discuss this a bit better than I will. As, as the feminine person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, to be fair, I imagine so. Um, I think for me, it's a brilliant example of this happens quite a lot. I think when you're researching more ancient societies, is you see the effect of contemporary biases and how these shape your opinions of these mm. ancient societies. Now, there's Egyptian societies a lot more equal than I assumed it would be, mm. and a lot more liberal. And whether that's shaped by the classical evidence or the fact that Christianity has been so strong in Europe and that has restricted women's rights for so many centuries. I'm not sure, but it's a perfect example of how even when we're interpreting physical evidence, which in itself isn't biased, you're always going to introduce your own biases and your own ideas onto the things you're looking at. What, what's, your, what's, what's your take on it? I think this kind of um, research is incredibly helpful as the sort of ancient societies are often used by misogynists as a sort of argument that look it's always been like this women are always the worst and then you look back and you go actually no maybe not fella um so this is where archaeology is very important so you can erase the misogynists going back all the way and go actually the evidence <laughs> but I th- where does that where does to what extent is that used though? Is that because people don't educate themselves about these societies or is that simply because they're looking back at probably the European perspective of Greece and Rome and going, this is what it's like? I think it is, it is genuinely largely people just being uneducated because I think if you are going to be misogynistic, you are most likely not particularly well-educated on the topics that you're <laughs> going to be talking about. Just putting that out there. Um, they like to have evidence um, but it doesn't really exist most of the time they probably won't have even read the classical interpretations if they have it's still not particularly evidenced just sort of a greek guy's opinion of what happened a couple of thousand years before he was even born um and it's it's those same people who then go oh being you know gay is only a human thing when in fact homosexuality is found in a multitude of species they just sort of make claims and let it happen. So having evidence like this about feminism in the ancient world is useful to say, no, it's not always been like this. It doesn't need to be like this. And I think this, this especially is a perfect example of how history is a lot bigger than often what we know. As I've said before, as I've said numerous times already, very much a European focus in our history, but you see from Egypt, entire different ancient society, you've got the Aztecs, you've got ancient Mesopotamia, you've got ancient China, 
and there's so much more history that a lot of the time I don't think gets to be studied and influenced to the extent that I think it should. I think mm. the brilliant thing about history is you can look back and learn from the mistakes of your predecessors. And mm. sadly, I don't think that happens enough. I've got another brilliant example. It's only a theory. I read it many years ago. Can't promise the legitimacy of it. But the terracotta army in China is mm. believed to have Greek influences because at the time, the only people making statues of that style and of that scale were the Greeks. Now they always thought China was a very isolated society and very separate. Mm. And it's a brilliant thing to demonstrate that the ancients were a lot more interconnected and a lot more developed than I think we give them credit for a lot of the time. Mm. That's very, very interesting. That is one of the useful things that we can do now with um, the more modern archaeology archaeological technology that we can look at you know the isotopes in things and figure out this comes from there which means there was trade which i think is one of the most exciting things about archaeological science we can figure out where things are from and who people were talking to what was going on yeah exactly and it's a brilliant example of how technology does help develop the science that we both enjoy and both want to study so yeah very useful In terms of legal rights, and this is probably where one of the biggest differences is, is you see, legally, Egypt is completely egalitarian. That's a very sharp contrast to women who weren't even regarded as citizens, but we'll get to that. So in terms of Egypt, women could own land, they could own property, they could operate business, which all threw a very significant milestones in terms of women's independence and women's rights. Now, they had a very large degree of freedom that, as I kind of said earlier, is completely unprecedented from my personal understanding before I started researching this anyway. Women didn't really get those sort of rights, even in the UK or the US, until 200, 300 years ago. Mm. I mean, there were a lot of things where, like, in the 1950s, you couldn't own a credit card. And I know they didn't have credit cards back in ancient Egypt, but it's a very similar thing. You couldn't own a credit card without your husband's permission. Yeah, and it's that sort of thing you see the whole way, unfortunately, you do see the whole way through the historical record in admittedly different amounts in different places. Mm. But it is very much a patriarchy led by the men, followed by the women. Mm. Um, If I contrast what we were saying earlier to ancient Greece, obviously, as I said, they had very few rights, weren't weren't able to vote, even though Greece is renowned as the birthplace of democracy. They weren't allowed to own land, they couldn't inherit are totally dependent on their male family members. Now, the only property they could acquire was through gifts, whether that be jewellery or clothes. They could buy very limited household items. What kind of household items could they buy? It would most likely be food. It was limited to, I I think it's like, it's a certain amount of barley, I think was how they moderated it, a certain amount of grain and they couldn't enter into deals that exceeded that amount. So it was a way of allowing women to still run a household and still provide the resources they needed for it without burdening the men too much because they've obviously got better things to do with their time. That is sarcastic. Um... <laughs> Luke comes out as a raging misogynist. No, I, I promise. I promise I'm not. This is the joking. last episode of the podcast. <laughs> 
and the Greeks had the right idea. Oh, <laughs> so how do you think the great influence that the Greek cultures had on Europe's idea of the ancient world has affected our view of ancient Egypt? Now, just to touch back on kind of how Greece has shaped our understanding of the ancient world, for me personally, this very much challenged my previous perspective. Now, I think whether it be a contemporary viewpoint looking back and expecting all previous societies to be far inferior to our current one, thank you, 21st century viewpoint. Um, I, to be perfectly honest, I think when you go into a lot of this, for me personally, you kind of associate these ancient societies with being a lot more, I don't want to say backwards, but a lot more conservative than our current ideas. Now, I was personally surprised by the level of freedoms Egyptian women were afforded, whether that be because of Greece's influence or Christianity's influence in the UK especially. Mm. Um, but there was an astounding level of gender equality for the period and a level of female rights not seen until very, very recently in our own world. Mm. So how do we know that um, women were equal and able to own land? How has that been proven with evidence? That will be within the legal records. Um, a brilliant example of this is you still have divorce and death certificates as far as I'm aware. So when you have this, you see the property passing from the husband to the wife and the wife is allowed to run that estate. They're allowed to control their possessions. The house went to the wife in the case of divorce or death if it wasn't owned by the husband's family and this is the complete opposite to a Greek society that expected women to have a male representative in all legal matters they weren't allowed to do it themselves and they were completely controlled by the patriarchy that they were stuck in So where if your husband dies, you know, life is great for the widow, you've got a lovely estate. How was, when your husband was alive, how was marriage in ancient Egypt? So this is, a, marriage is an area that I was a lot more liberal than I first expected. Love played a very big role in Egyptian marriages and women were predominantly allowed to marry who they wished. Wow. We have numerous examples of love letters touching on all aspects of relationships from the very first developments to much later lifelong commitment. So if they were if they were writing letters, they will have been in separate places. Why were they separated? Was would they be away on work? What would they why would they be writing letters to each other? Um in initial stages it kind of carries on to the t tradition we had today. Obviously mm -hmm. I know the world today is a lot more is a lot more literate, especially in the UK. In Egypt, I think it was only two to five percent that were literate. So it was even then it's still a minority that we're looking at mm. in terms of literacy and being able to understand that form of communication. But the evidence we do have does suggest unless you were a king or a very, very high noble, you were in a marriage with with a single partner. Mm. And a lot of the time these couples were devoted to each other. Mm. And I, I think another law that probably surprised me in Egypt especially is the benefits that women were afforded uh, in, in the case of divorce. 
now there's a bigger section on this as well we can go into if you want mm. but the bit i kind of i would initially touch in is prenuptial agreements now mm. these surprisingly for me anyway very much favored women for example if a man divorced he lost his rights to request for his marriage gifts back <laughs> which i think is a brilliant rule because it stops people jumping from relationship to relationship i am intrigued by the concept of them having divorce at a certain point i know you've talked a lot about things that seem a um a modern concept like you know feminism that kind of thing i would i would consider divorce quite a recent thing but the idea that they had them again how do we know this i will go on the whim and say they'll have a similar documentation to what we have in terms of marriage certificates and stuff mm. but divorce in egypt was a lot less stigmatized than it was in greece because of religion in europe because of religion mm. it was regarded as a social convention not as a religious ceremony now, obviously, they still preferred long-term marriages, stable marriages, contribute to a stable community, and that was the core, alongside religion, of of Egyptian life. Community was everything to people, mm. and it was the way that this, their society functioned. Now, the fact that they had rights to divorce speaks volumes about the rights they had in general mm. life. Mm. But the fact that even in the case of divorce, children always went to the mother and the home remained with the wife is such a key step in women's rights and the way that marriages functioned in that society. It's such a brilliant mm-hmm. contrast, not brilliant in terms of the way that women <laughs> suffered, but in it's so, so clear. In Greece, marriages were arranged for the, for the father, for the family's benefit. Uh, wives were married off at 13 or 14 to an average age of 30, men married at. And as much as they're expected to be loyal and expected to focus on domestic chores, men were free to engage in sexual relations with who they wished. Mm. And their children always gained full paternal custody in the case of divorce in in ancient Egypt. And women very much suffered as a consequence. Do you mean ancient Greece there? Because they... Yes, sorry. Apologise, ancient Greece. <laughs> I'm a little confused. Um, yeah, because if you're not allowed, you're not allowed property in the first place, and then if you get divorced, they take your home, they take your kids. You're absolutely screwed there. Not a very good moment. Uh, in Greece, there were three main ways people got divorced. A man could renounce without reason. They could throw the wife out of the house, and that would be it. A, a, a father could ask for their daughter back, often to offer to another man with more attractive dowry for them. Mm. Or a wife could leave the family home with the help of a male guardian. However, all three of those cases are hugely unlikely, purely because of the huge stigma attached to it. Mm. And it, the horrific damage it did to a woman's reputation. This is something that's just sort of sprung to mind for me. I have no idea if you have an answer for this or what. But because I believe that ancient Greece had quite a thing about prostitutes, I believe. With ancient Egypt's attitude to women being able to own land, being able to have businesses in a way that isn't sex work, as opposed to something like ancient Greece where you're not really able to do anything other than, 
did they really have a sort of institutionalized sort of sex work vibe in ancient Egypt or is that something we just don't know about and we're going to have to research separately? To answer that question, I've just done a quick Google. I haven't <laughs> personally re- I haven't personally researched this. It was something I was debating doing and didn't in the end. But there, there, from the most I can see immediately, there's very little is known about that practice, mainly because it wasn't documented and it doesn't really leave a lot of physical evidence. Yeah. You'll have few depictions, not many. Um, and that will very much impair the amount that we'll know about it. But that's definitely something we can come back to. This is the research uh, you're all going to be doing as an adult Egyptologist. <laughs> you're, you're going to be looking specifically at the history of prostitutes, trying to find them. Where were they? Were they there? I mean, as you touched on, I, Greece did very much have a system of prostitution in place. Mm. Uh, in terms of women's occupations, we'll come back to this later, but sex work did form a major part of that. Mm. You had women that served the higher classes that were literate a lot of the time and provided more female company or you had the lower prostitutes that served all classes and purely worked in brothels mm. and as hot horrific as it was that formed such a central role in mm. kind of women's jobs if they weren't in the house then grew mm. because it is, it is it is something that pervades history isn't it you know you had the greeks you had the romans I mean, up to, we've both done the USSR in history. There's that bit, you know, after the Civil War, you get chucked out of the factories, the men are back, you're straight back to being a prostitute. You know, that's, it was one of the only jobs you could have, you know, Victorian London, that kind of thing. It was a woman's role because you had nothing else to do. You weren't allowed to get another job. So somewhere like ancient Egypt, where you're allowed to have a business, you're allowed to own land, that is really significant and there will be, I would assume there would be less sex work. That is, it's very, very interesting. And I think that's great because there would be less exploitation because there would be other options yeah, and that's, for a woman. Yeah, that, that's that's a brilliant point because it is such a consequence of a patriarchy where on one hand they're going, women were restricted to their house and are not allowed jobs. And the consequence of that in the poorer cases and the lower classes is you turn to selling your body if you can't sell anything else. Mm. And it's a horrific consequence of the, societies and the attitudes that develop but it's a brilliant example of the two sides of men not wanting women to have jobs but at the same time exploiting them for the only resource that they allow them to have Mm. So in this segment, uh, Luke will be approaching a very, you know, current sensitive topic at the moment, considering things happening in America, we will be looking at reproductive rights and how the ancient world may well have been better than the present day in a horribly depressing turn of events. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think that is quite true. Now, I will try and try carefully around this because it's definitely not my area of expertise. I will leave that to Jane. If you step out of line, I will will tell you you've got wrong. (laughs) You will not. In Egypt, surprisingly, um, for me anyway, this is again a thing about thinking ancient societies are more less technologically advanced than they were. Women are allowed contraception, 
um, they had a basic understanding of the effective methods. For example, fermented acacia gum can reduce lactic acid, which is a natural spermicide. That was used very widely. We see birth control. And another key element we find is birth control and abortions are freely available to both married and unmarried women in Egypt, especially um, an area of concern I think pervaded a lot more in Greece, the whole ideas around virginity and premarital sex. In Egypt, that wasn't a big concern at all. Um, the only admissions they really had about female sexuality was that you couldn't tempt men away from their wives. And I, it's, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's such a brilliant attitude to have is the only time you're concerned about it is when it's actually an issue. Mm. Have who you want as long as he's not someone else's. I quite like that because that's sort of role reversal. We're, we're now owning the man. <laughs> <laughs> he's someone else's husband. You can't have him as opposed to she's someone else's wife. No, it's, it's such a brilliant attitude to have. And I think that to me, when I first found that was seemingly out of context, it very much mm-hmm. seems a much more modern idea and a much more modern issue. And just to continue from the ideas about being seemingly out of context, I think the, it's such a wider argument now, if anything, it's perpetuated throughout society as a constant debate mm-hmm. surrounding these issues. And it's presenting almost an idealised version of society here, very much harmonious, very much mm-hmm. liberal, and very freeing for women that are traditionally bar- barred from these areas. It wasn't until 1917 when the Soviets introduced us that it first came to Europe, and even then that only lasted until 1936. So it's... the great retreat. Oh, don't even get me started. But it's... (laughs) It's so liberating to be able to see that I think our ancients, if anything, were probably a lot better at touching on these areas. Not to get... Not to get too controversial on Maine, but how much do we think this has to do with ancient Egypt being a pre-Christian society? Because we see today the Roe v. Wade being overturned. That is because Americans can't seem to get their head around the fact that their church is separate from their state. And, you know, we have, I believe it was always the churches that are going, life begins at conception, we can't have an abortion. Yeah. Where did where did life begin for the ancient Egyptians? And do we think that that was to do with the fact that they were so okay with abortion? I can't say for certain when the whole, the ideas about life beginning, but I imagine from the evidence we've got, I would personally, without doing any further research, personally say that it's from birth. Now you do see a change when the Romans come in and introduce Catholicism. You see an even further change with the Arab invasion in the 7th century, which makes Egypt a lot more into the society it is today with the introduction of Islam. And these were two religions that completely reversed the freedoms that women had enjoyed for almost 3,000 years at that point. And you do see the influence, I think, that pervades today, and it's the issue, though, and it's why these issues pervade to today, is for so long we've had religions that are a lot more conservative toward, towards women that predominated in our societies. And that those are the attitudes that have been carried forward and those are the attitudes that still exist today. I mean, that that is really interesting because you say, you know, for so long we've had these. 
But if you think about it, according to our calendar, we've only really had 2,000 years of Christianity, but they were doing ancient Egypt for 3,000 years. That is one of the things I find most interesting about ancient Egypt, and I think you will agree. It was so long. <laughs> there was just so much of it. And the fact we grew one thing. When in fact, it's like those things about how Cleopatra was worn closer to the iPhone than the pyramids. I don't know if that's true, but it's a weird thing to think about. <laughs> no, such a brilliant fact is the Roman, when the Romans invaded Egypt, Egypt was more ancient to Rome than the Romans are to us today. It just gives you a perspective of how old that society first, when it first originated, was it 3000 BC when it started. So even before that and obviously your pre-dynastic egypt before the pharaohs and before mm -hmm. that got, got, uh, system of government was cemented from groups of tribes mm. but it's the history and the length of time that that society extended for is absolutely mental to think about mm. we've kind of been discussing the whole way through how egypt was more liberal legally and Greece is very much a contrast to that. Mm. The majority of women, even in Egypt, were still consigned to household management roles. They, it was still considered a woman's role. Mm. However, they did have a lot more freedoms around doing this. Although they were considered to be in charge of the household tasks, they could manage the entire household and do it as they wished whether it be cooking or cleaning in the house, they still had jobs outside of that, weaving, musicians, bakers, brewers. And although poor women did help men in the fields, you had wealthy women that if they had the money to, they could start their own business, they managed their servants. And these are significant legal rights that mm. Greek women weren't allowed. Greek women were very much restricted to their households and their purpose in life was bearing and raising their children. It wasn't was considered a life outside of that for them mm. and this is this is again the sort of system of society that has meant that ancient egypt is one of the ancient civilizations that did not have the endemic system of prostitution because women could just do other things yeah and they had the freedom to do that and um, mm. obviously legally it was a lot more liberal that didn't always translate I don't think in Egyptian society still, because mm. you, as we mentioned with Hapchat so early, you still have the male patriarchy trying to impose itself. I mean, you know, today today we have equal employment, but you're still going to face misogyny in the workplace because present company take no offence, but men can suck sometimes. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I completely agree. So it was probably the same back then you know you can have a business you can be a baker but you know men are going to be a bit rude to you sometimes but at least you can you can have a job yeah and i think although you do have two very different societies in greece and rome sorry in greek in greece and egypt sorry and very different attitudes towards women is here a very nice bridge of similarity which you see the extent of their liberalism mm. it, where Greece was completely shutting women down mm. and Egypt was allowing them more choice and the majority of people did share similar lifestyles to their husbands mm. apart from 
if, they, if you were poor working in the fields all day. But even then, your husband is also working in the fields, so you are sharing his role. You are being equal. It's just yeah. it's a class thing rather than a gender yeah. thing, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've got the balance between women who are allowed to have their own roles, but at the same time are sharing the egalitarian society that Egyptian had, the Egyptians had developed. Now, a brilliant example of kind of the extent that women could gain influence and gain gain powerful jobs in, in Egypt was their religious roles. Now, this is another brilliant similarity between the two civilizations that I'll touch on in a minute. Mm. But because of the depiction of protective goddesses, so goddesses to be protectors, they were kind and caring individuals, this attitude towards women perpetuated. Mm. So you see female gods that accrue from society primarily as protectors or creators. For example, Basta, which is one of the most popular gods, she was a protector of the home, of women, and of women's secrets. <laughs> now you have such crucial roles in society played by female protagonists. Mm. And I think that if that religion, as Egypt did, it elevates and it honours these feminine figures, it helps to encourage a real sense of equality in society when they're placed on a pedestal alongside male mm. gods. I think it's very telling that one of Bast's thing or Bastet's things is women's secrets. That really does give you the feeling that the thing, I don't really know how to put it into words. It's just something that really implies that women are being cared about in this, in this system of theology. The idea of specifically women's secrets. I don't know. I'm just finding that very significant as it, you feel that women are involved yeah. in this mythos and we we have things to do and gods to protect us and i feel like i may be wrong but i feel like the the greeks weren't really thinking about like <laughs> women need women have secrets because you know women women don't have things at all women can't even have a certain amount of grain for some reason so i think that's that's really good on women's secrets specifically yeah and i think it's so telling of the attitude that the Egyptians ha had towards women. And as you say, it, uh, Greece was a lot more restrictive. Mm. However, in saying that, um, they did have priestesses and they did mm. get quite powerful positions, primarily serving female gods such as Demeter or Aphrodite. Mm. However, as an Egypt, they could elevate themselves to quite senior religious roles. One of the most uh, one of the most senior religious officers in Greece was the high priestess mm. of the Athena Polias, if I'm saying that correctly. Mm. And that was a feminine role. And you see in Egypt, God's wife of Ar the position of the God's wife of Armun was equal in power to the king and effectively ruled after Egypt wow. in the third intermediate period. And again, it's such a brilliant demonstration of women playing a key role in ancient societies, but also thriving mm. in the worlds they live in. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the uh, classics expert, sorry. But where, even though the, the Greek position was a very high status one, did you not have to be like a very certain type of woman in a certain stage of your life? And was, was this the case in Egypt? Yes, um, this... Um, I can't say for Egypt. I know for Greece it was either very young um, when you're still a virgin or past the menopausal age 
Um, those were the two key factors for that position in Greece. Now, I don't know if that changed as women matured into their 30s before their kind of later life when menopause hits in. Um, but it was, I think, the only, only real way in Greece anyway for a woman to boost her position, no matter her age or her status. And just as a particular interest for me, just to conclude, I thought this was a brilliant point of comparison. Now, Greece was divided into nation states, so you, two obvious ones would be Athens and Sparta. Now, Spartan women were very much in the minority in terms of rights in Greece, because they lived a very different lifestyle from Athenian relative, from their Athenian relatives. Take the example of marriage, as we've been discussing quite a lot throughout this podcast. Spartan women very rarely married before the age of 20. They were free to move around as they liked. And even motherhood enhanced their status as raising future soldiers was one of the most important roles in their Spartan society. Mm. And it's such a demonstration of the regional differences in Greece, but also that Egypt wasn't alone, I don't think, in their women's rights. And I know we've kind of been elevating it throughout this entire thing. But they weren't, I don't think, the only people that were considered, were thinking more, as we would regard now, more contemporary, having more contemporary viewpoints mm. on women's roles. I don't know now, if this, this take that I have is quite based on stereotypes and a very basic knowledge, as I'm very much not the expert in either of these classical civilizations. But could you say that there was a connection um, between being... I want to say a more warlike civilization because I know that Sparta was quite based in, in warriorship and that kind of thing. And I, yeah. I'm under the impression that Egypt had quite a similar vein. And I'm mainly thinking here about how they had um, Sekhmet, the warrior goddess, and that would connect women being in a sort of status of equality or power to a country that is very interested in war i don't know how that applies to athens what kind of war interests they have they sort of strike you as they had sort of less because they were more interested in democracy and stuff what is your yeah. view on that sort of hot take that i've thrown out? that's honestly a brilliant point and I, I hadn't considered that at all um in terms of spartan interest in war they were very much the more war focused warriorship as you say which is central part central part of that if my baby and... is small and won't be a good soldier, I'm throwing him out onto the mountain. <laughs> I mean, it's such a demonstration of how central war was that Athenian, sorry, not Athenian, Spartan women could own land simply because men weren't there enough mm. to be able to control it. They controlled their husband's grounds. And during the fourth century, women owned 60 to 70% of Spartan property. Which I think is a mental statistic, considering only in Athens, which the Spartans later invaded, how different their lifestyle was. Mm, they owned zero percent of the property. You couldn't. No, nothing at all. <laughs> no. Um, 
just on your point with Egypt being a all driven society as well, that's very, very true. They had a very strong interest in colonization, especially in Sudan, Nubia. That was a battle going on throughout the Egyptian period up in Upper and Lower Egypt when the Sudanese advanced or the Nubians advanced and took sectors. You've got throughout the throughout the society, the most famous and the most successful pharaohs are always military leaders. Thutmose mm-hmm. I, Ramesses II, those are probably the two famous ones, but both of them were very experienced generals and very, very successful. So in terms of either the, the deities they supported in that, as you say, segment, or just the fact that men a lot of the time were engaging in these war activities that took them on campaigns that they were gone for months on end, mm-hmm. and whether that elevated women to have a more important and central role in society, that might well be a very, very, very deep and profound cause for their attitudes towards women. Mm. Um, because that's that's also something you find in more contemporary history. Um, again, harking back to harping back to um, A level history, you have the Russian Civil War. That was one of the times where there was the most sort of equality because the men were elsewhere. They were doing other stuff. So the women were then taking on the jobs, taking on the roles. So would it be that when you have all these military campaigns, it is the warlike nations because the men are doing other stuff that the women come in and fill the gaps? Yeah, I think it must be because, again, both of those examples, you see it in Britain as well. Mm -hmm. One of the key reasons that women got the vote in Britain is because they're World War One. And I think it is those exceptional circumstances where countries are forced to utilise their entire civil population, not just the men who are predominantly taking these key jobs, but the women as well, mm-hmm. and giving women these opportunities throughout that civilization, especially in the warlike nations, probably contributed hugely. And the Vikings did it as well. They were... They loved a good invasion and they had women doing the maths, doing the sort of business stuff, didn't they? That's really interesting, the connection between if your society has more war and violence, it is also just better to be a woman in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is that, the fact is that about? No, but that's, that's so true. While we're here, did you want to touch on your um, point about what uh, female warriors in Viking societies, why not? Oh, I think I think that would be a. If we start, if we get onto female warriors, I will be here for an entire other episode. I think we can. Right, we fine. Can we'll save that. that. Cool. The next <laughs> um, we can have a lovely segue between episodes. Right, brilliant. So I think we'd, we'd better yeah. keep it on ancient Egypt for today. Yeah, that's fine. To be honest, that's most of what I've got, unless mm. you've got any other kind of insights that you wanted to share. Have any other questions? I think the main takeaway for me has just kind of been, I think we've kind of been talking about this throughout, is just the sheer quantity of links and the sheer quantity of ideas that I think we associate with more modern movements, mm. and more contemporary ideas with the comparison to the fact that these ideas originated much, much earlier than I think a lot of people anticipate. I think one of the ideas that I found most significant from this, that I found out, is 
or I think I knew already that, that it's sort of come to light, is the idea that we ha have had the Christian patriarchal idea for a shorter amount of time than they will have had the egalitarian freedom in ancient Egypt by about a thousand years, which is absolutely mad. Um, but I think that's just the fact that Christianity has been able to sustain itself and perpetuate itself and Greece ultimately fell, started to fall when, when Ptolemy took over after Alexander the Great invaded and then later with the final Roman invasions. Mm. I think that attitude just hasn't had the platform like Christianity has to perpetuate through the following millennia. Mm. And unfortunately, I think that's the consequence of history taking the course that it has, mm. that what we now have the issue where we're almost perceiving these societies mm. through a biased perspective that they will be backwards and they will follow these traditions and customs that we've had used to, when in the fact, they are almost the opposite a lot of the time. Mm. Anyway, um, we, should, we should probably leave it there, but can I just say this has been a brilliant opportunity, I think, for both of us just to be able to talk kind of how we intended in our introductory episode but just talk kind of freely about our subject it's been for me anyway very much a stress reliever very liberating yeah it's been really fun and i look forward to doing future episodes i think this is a really yeah, well, good brilliant. really good venture yeah brilliant well thank you jane thank you luke see you all in the next episode of the great news podcast